Kerry, how are you doing today? I'm good. How are you? Good. Hey, thanks so much for taking some time um, for our audience. I'm with Kerry Donnelly, who's uh, shortly going to retire as the uh, SVP from uh, John Marshall Bank in Alexandria, Virginia. Um, and um, I know you must be excited about um, sort of the next phase in your life after a long career, both in financial services and in politics. Well, it, it is a new it is a new stage of existence. Let me put it that way. Well, we're gonna we're gonna dip our toe in it real soon. So that's great. So there's a few things that I'm interested in in terms of your career, and one, uh, I have to be candid that Carrie and I are both uh, Marquette University alums, uh, and we were there during the glory years in the in the late '70s. So that was one that uh, made this even more interesting and fun to pursue. But the second part of it is. That Kerry has had a unique career in that, in addition to working in the financial sector, um, he was in politics for many years and was the mayor of Alexandria, uh, Virginia, for 18 years. Is that right? Well, I was the, I was on the city council for 18 years, and I was uh, the mayor for eight of those, of those. Gotcha, gotcha. So I'm really interested in, in sort of how you navigated this. So in in your role uh, in the financial sector, obviously full time job. You're, you're a parent, raising a family, doing all that. And then you obviously are uh, given back to the community by participating. And so talk a bit about it. What was your initial reason for wanting to get involved in politics? Many of us get involved by, you know, donations or volunteering, but you're putting your money where your mouth is by actually being a participant. What made you, what was the first thing that you, first issue or first thing that happened? You said, I got to be part of this. Well, I think actually, I think it was sort of uh, sort of two things. I mean, number one is I, I grew up in a political family. My, uh, my I'm originally from South Dakota, and my father was a chief of staff for George McGovern, who was a former senator uh, from the state of South sure. Dakota. And uh, so I sort of grew up in a political environment. But the other aspect, quite frankly, was uh, was you know the foundation of of the Jesuit education I got at Marquette University, where where you you were sort of taught and instilled with a sense of, of contributing to the greater community in which you live. Uh, and so when I graduated from college and came back here, uh, I looked for avenues to get involved, not just in raising my family and, and part of the, the, uh, the commerce here in the city of Alexandria, but also the broader community. And that led to, uh, to political involvement. I, uh, I sort of cut my teeth on a, uh, on a board and commission here in the city that, that, that served the needs of the mentally retarded, mentally uh, ill, and, uh, and substance abusers and, uh, and got involved in the city. And uh, one thing led to another. And before you know it, I'm on the dais making decisions as part of the city council. So for folks that don't know, uh, Alexandria is right, uh, right over the border from Washington, D.C. So that stands to reason that uh, coming here when your, your dad was here uh, made, made made a lot of sense. But at the time, um, the city council, this is late 80s through the 90s. Uh, what were some of the, I'm sure many, many issues, of course, what were some of the more challenging issues that the council and then you eventually as mayor had to face? Well, there's always, you know, we're, we're a sort of densely populated city. And so there's always a lot of pressure between 
um, you know, the, the need to, to either attract new development and expand our tax base. And we're an old city. And so, you know, consequently, we have uh, a lot of areas of redevelopment, uh, you know, areas that have been around since the 19, early 1900s that are, in, that are in need for redevelopment. So there's always that development pressure. But, you know, back in the 80s, um, you know, one of the, uh, the major issues that confronted a lot of uh, urban areas uh, and, and not so urban areas was, uh, was the crack epidemic. Right. We had areas here in, in the city of Alexandria that were open air crack markets. And, um, and, you know, one of the things that is important, and you always have to remember that, that, uh, that one of the primary reasons of local government is public safety. Right. And, uh, and, you know, when you dial 911, you need a, you need a police officer, you need an ambulance, you need a fire truck. Uh, you know, the FBI and the state police, they're not responding to that. So, so, uh, you know, public safety and, and the associated impacts of the crack epidemic in the, in the 80s were a major concern, uh, you know, in all sectors of the city of Alexandria. And, and obviously, I, I do remember, because um, I've been in the same area for, for quite a long period of time, the focus on uh, crime legislation. So at the federal level, as we both know, for almost every election year from the late 80s to the early 90s were these massive anti-crime bills, you know, zero tolerance, three strikes and you're out, all that sort of thing. How, uh, how, how does the city of Alexandria interact with, with the federal government? Obviously, there's state and city laws. I understand that. But g- given all the uh, debate and things that were going on at the time, was there also a response from the council uh, to be as uh, strict is probably the wrong word, but as strict in terms of changing laws and, and regulations to try to deal with these epidemics? Well, I think you, you had more of an impact in, um, in, in, in Richmond, uh, you know, in the, in, uh, in Virginia, we're what's called a Dillon rule state, which, right. which you know, uh, closed much, uh, closed much of the, uh, the, the, legislative and, and legal responsibility at the state level. Uh, essentially, we can only act if we received an express uh, authority from the state government, as opposed to a home rule state where, you know, the, the power is founded at the local level and less, less expressly taken away by the uh, state government. So, so we did go through a period here in Virginia of, uh, you know, where, where parole was outlawed, for example. You know, so truth in sentencing, you know, if you were sentenced to you know, to 30 years, you got 30 years, right. um, you know, no parole. Um, you know, and, and I think that w- given today's environment, we're now finding the errors of our ways in terms of, of how those, those laws came about, but, but more importantly, how they're applied in, in today's world. Uh, and, and we're seeing, you know, uh, in many cases, minorities have been unfairly and, uh, and, and unjustly um, targeted by a lot of those same good government sort of tough law and order laws, uh, many of which are being being taken off the books these days, uh, not just here in Virginia, but but right. nationally. That's yeah, that that's so obviously so true. And, um, you know, a, a, a major issue now that we all that we're all addressing and have for the past couple of years has been um, the activities of the police and obviously as as we both know and i have some in my family and i i would venture to say you might as well that are come from law enforcement so we know there's people that are dedicated to to protecting and serving but obviously 
you know, we were faced with trying to deal with um, a number of activities and events and things that have come to light now, mainly because of video and more transparency, uh, that the, the question of reform comes up on both sides of the aisle. How was your relationship back then, both as a city council member and then as a mayor, with uh, your local police force? What sort of interaction did you have? Um, you, you know, what, again, walk, walk us through that, because I imagine uh, because of all the activity, and you say the ep- epidemics going on, they, they were very challenged as well. Yeah, you know, well, the, the council, I think, always enjoyed a, fair, a fairly healthy relationship with, uh, with the police department. You know, again, we're the legislative body. Think of us more like the, the board of directors, if you will. We establish policy or we establish laws, and then it's, it's up to, the, uh, to the, the city staff and, and, in this case, law enforcement to, to execute and carry out those laws dutifully. Um, you know, one of, the, one of the things that I think has, has, has been a, a, a solution here in Alexandria that, that we've had for, for a number of decades now that, that was ushered in when I was the mayor was uh, we, went, we, we, we went out of our way to make sure that the, the police department, and in fact, actually other departments of the city government, were, were reflective of the populations they served. Right. Uh, we, have a, we had a growing Hispanic population, for example. And so, you know, we went out and, and hired um, Hispanic officers, not just Spanish-speaking officers, but Hispanic officers who had an appreciation of the culture and mores of, of this growing portion of our city. Uh, we also placed a, um, a, a hiring emphasis on African-American officers and female officers uh, so that the, the police force is actually, you know, was reflective of the community. And, and that's been a hallmark of Alexandria for probably 30 years now. And, and consequently, we haven't had a lot of the problems that, that befall other, uh, other communities. You know, I, I think of Ferguson, Missouri, for example, right. uh, a community that's, that's about 50-50 black versus white in terms of its population. But its police force, uh, back when they had, you know, a lot of their troubles, uh, was 90% white male. Uh, and so you, 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 again, had a balance. And I think the, the, the important aspect is that, you know, female officers learn from male officers. Male officers learn from female officers. Likewise, African-American officers learn from white officers, and, and they learn from, the, from their black counterparts. Uh, same, true, same is true with the Hispanic officers. And so, so you approach the, their approach to the job, albeit professional, also comes with an appreciation of the backgrounds and the languages, the cultures, the values, the mores of the citizens they're serving. And so we've been able to to sort of avoid a lot of the problems that befall a lot of our of our uh, of our other jurisdictions throughout the country, uh, at least as it res- uh, relates to sort of systemic ro- uh, systemic racism and day to day law enforcement. Uh, give people a sense. What's the population roughly of Alexandria? Alexandria. When I was the mayor, Alexandria was uh, was about one hundred and thirty five thousand uh, residents. We're now about one hundred and sixty, uh, and and we're one hundred and sixty thousand residents all all jammed into sixteen square miles. Right. So yeah. it's so it's a fairly densely populated city, uh, and it's a city that's gone through, uh, as I mentioned, a, a, a fair amount of redevelopment. Where you know, we were the home for we were the home of George Washington, uh, you know, back in the in the 1700s. And so 
So history has always been part of our of our uh, our community, and and you know our our old town area is is actually preserved under under a lot of ordinances that are designed to right. uh, to protect the architecture and the character. But we're also the home of the National Science Foundation and uh, the Patent and Trademark Office, two two you know centers of um, of innovation and uh, and creativity. And uh, Virginia Tech just uh, just announced that they're coming here to Alexandria. Uh, with their, their innovation campus, which is largely going to be their graduate school and PhD programs in, um, in high technology. Uh, and so on the one hand, we're preserving history on the next, on the, on the next, we're, we're part of the, uh, the 21st century and, and all the techno uh, technological innovations that you can imagine. You know, it's amazing. I've been uh, old town a number of times and actually been in uh, some folks' homes there. And it's just amazing how well everything has been, kept and preserved and obviously um the the way the city is structured it's a it's a calling card for the city but your your point is so well taken it's it's expanding has been expanding to include all these new areas of focus and, and that's always important you know not just for uh the city but of course the commonwealth so i think you're all to be commended and i say that even if you're no longer directly connected i'm sure you get consulted so i think that's so important I do want to ask you a couple of personal related questions about sure. your time in office. Yeah. And so, you know, um, working full time, being an elected official and obviously raising a family has to be a massive challenge. Uh, how were you able to navigate that and the people that you want to encourage to do more for their community? What recommendations do you have to try to navigate that? Well, I think there's a couple of things. I mean, first off, in, in my situation, you, you have to have the support of your family. Right. Uh, and so my wife, my wife and, and, uh, and her support of my, my uh, professional and political endeavors was, was keen. Um, and, you know, I, I, kid, I kid her all the time that, you know, if I were to run for office again, she'd probably change the locks on the front door. But, uh, <laughs> but, uh, but at any rate, I mean, you know, having, having that support at home and, is, is critical because, uh, you know, there were, there were times when I'm putting in 80 hours a week and, and, you know, they're not seeing a whole lot of me. Uh, but, but, you know, in Alexandria, very similar to many local governments, we have what's called a council manager form of government. The, the foundation is a professional staff that implements the, uh, the, 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 the laws and ordinances that we pass and a citizen legislator legislature uh, the, the city council, the mayor and city council, right. uh, who are part-time. Uh, and and it's, it's, its underpinnings are actually, actually go back to Jeffersonian democracy, uh, which, is, which is part of the, the Constitution here in Virginia, where, uh, where everybody is, is, is effectively an a, a, a active member of the community. You're employed, you're working every day. You can relate to the needs of, of not only your residential uh, constituents, but also your business constituents, and then you take that understanding and employ it as a as a as an elected official. Uh, and so there's always that balance between you know your work life and your political life, and in some cases um, they conflict. Uh, right. you, know, you have to have you have to have uh, the support of your employer to be involved. And in some cases, you know, you might have matters that either come up uh, before the city council that maybe directly or indirectly uh, impact your employment situation or or your employer or, in fact, maybe your customers. And uh, 
And so, you know, you have to be mindful of those conflicts of interest. And uh, for anybody who's, who's interested in, in ever serving office, make sure you have a good understanding of the conflict of interest laws that, that are either local or, or state, right. because they have to guide your decisions. In some cases, you, you need to recuse yourself from, um, from participating in a, in a vote that might in, impact your, your uh, employer or your employment. Um, in, in this case, it was bank customers um, who potentially might have a matter that comes before the city council. I have to step aside right. or uh, at the very least, I have to announce that there's a that there's a conflict, but that I can fairly and impartially make a decision uh, regarding the matter that's before the, uh, the legislative body, in this case, the city council. Um, and so, so the, you know. Having that knowledge and, and, and being mindful of the matters that come before, uh, before you in your official capacity as an elected official, you know, actually keeps you out of trouble. Uh, and so, you know, in some cases, I would, I would seek advice from, uh, from the city attorney uh, as to whether I, it was a conflict and whether I could uh, participate or not. But, uh, but I always had to keep that front and center. And I encouraged my colleagues to do the same because... It just didn't impact me. Oftentimes it impacted others on council. Yeah, that's uh, that that's often something that some people don't navigate well or they ignore. So I think that's great advice is to understand the conflict potential and make, you know, make those decisions either yourself if you feel confident enough. And obviously transparency is, is the key, right? That's as long as you're being transparent then the the odds of you making a mistake are much more limiting so i think that that's that's so important so um so in terms of the going back to the point about things that could impact um your employer what about sort of reputational issues obviously i I don't have in front of me all the various topics that might have been in front of uh the city council but as an example if something was a very uh, controversial position, you know, what, whatever it might be. And you guys had to pass a resolution or, you know, ch- a change in uh, uh, a requirement or reg, whatever it was. And it, it was clear to you at the time, this is good. Whatever I do, whatever I come down, I mean, now it's probably even more so because of the division in our country. But um, what, what were the, what was your thought process on that? Again, I would assume that your thought process is, I'm just going to make the decision that I think is right, which is great. But I have to also think you're thinking, is my employer going to get impacted if I vote X on this particular topic? Should I just not worry about it or navigate it? Uh, again, I know without an example, probably not that easy of a question to answer, but I kind of think that it's come up several times at least that there would be something that the council wanted to opine on that you know, maybe didn't directly impact the issue, but people wanted to take a position and, you know, you get, you get some press for being mayor and city council. So it's going to be reflected in a story. What was your thought process on those things? Well, I mean, first off, I, you know, I I tried to divorce, you know, my, my, my civic duty with my, with my professional duty, sometimes as an intersect. And, uh, and there were, there were very few times when I felt like, you know, my decision might, you know, potentially have an impact or, okay. or at least reflect on my employer. Right. Um, it, it, it never really came to pass. You know, for example, um, 
you know, I wasn't part of the council when uh, when when they passed this resolution, but at one point they passed a resolution declaring Alexandria a nuclear free zone. Uh, uh -huh. My guess is that it, yeah, I I've sort of always felt that was a little too far stream for what uh, what local government's supposed to do. But at any rate, they they passed it, and and, uh, and you know, I always thought that you know, guys, you know, I might have customers come in and sort of, sort of say, "What the heck are you doing? You crazy?" <laughs> yeah. um, you know, and and uh, but but sometimes you do run into to to issues that uh, that might have a um, uh, an impact on on how customers might view you know, gun control, for example, sort right. of comes to mind. Sure, you know, where where people might have strong feelings about gun ownership, and you know you restrict firearms or or the the uh, the possession of firearms in in a public building. Um, you know, never you know all, although that 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 sentiment may be there it never really manifested me it manifested itself you know in my professional life or quite frankly in my private life uh, you know i mean people would you know they, they would accept the decision and and then they would move on i don't know that that's the case in today's political environment because right, because right. The, the country is so polarized that and and people have a tendency to uh to make their feelings uh, known in a in a very demonstrable manner these days, as opposed to you know in the eighties and nineties and the early two hundreds or two thousands when I was serving on council. Uh, so you know today's environment might be a little different, but right. I never really found you know those politically charged issues had a had an adverse adverse impact on uh, on my banking business. Um, I used to, to kid around that said, you know, we were actually had a, a, an advantage. Uh, you were the only, we were the only place in, we were the only bank in town where you could come in and make a deposit and complain about potholes all in the same visit. <laughs> That's uh, right. And believe me, they did. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So uh, one more topic. Um, you've been so kind with your time today. Um, you were obviously uh, mayor at the time of nine 11 and it's been this year is the 20th, I hate to use the word anniversary, but the 20th year since 9-11. Since and we're doing a lot of programming about it, uh, about, you know, terrorist financing and sure. changes in regulation and laws and, and those sorts of things. Um, obviously, as we both know, the Pentagon was hit. Um, I'm actually, I'm reading a book now about the Secret Service, and it's really, and they go back over 9-11 and some of the things that I, that I knew didn't happen, but could have happened. Rereading it again, it's just going wow. Um, so, so Alexandria being right, right there. Um, walk us through uh, sort of your, not your reaction, but your response at both as mayor, uh, part of the business community, and of course as a father and and, and husband. So, sort of what you went through at the time, uh, both and nine eleven, which we all sort of scrambled, but post 9-11 and trying to deal with the aftermath? Well, I think that the, uh, it, this was one of the few times when I think, you know, we as a city and, and in fact, a, a region here, Washington, but also as a country where, uh, where we were severely tested. And, um, and, you know, that was probably the, the, one of the few times when, you know, I had to go to my employer and say, I'm sorry, but I can't come to work today. Right. As a matter of fact, I can't come to work for the next week or so because of the demands of the day, and um, and and they they understood, and and so it, so it, it was uh, making sure first off that that you know the city itself uh, was safe. You know there was a lot of uncertainty about you know terrorist attacks and and you know you know 
what could be targeted, what couldn't be targeted. And, and the concern of most of my citizens were, was, can I, am I going to be safe? Right. So, so you had to make sure that, that our, our public safety, uh, police, fire, emergency medical, provided the adequate coverage to, to, to ensure that, number one, people were safe, but, but more importantly, that they felt safe. Uh, because in, in some cases, you know, that, that, that sense of security leads to, you know, proper decision-making as opposed to emotional decision-making. Uh, so, so we had to make sure the city was safe, and, and, uh, and that, was, that was sort of the first thing, getting, getting through the first couple of days. Right. Uh, and that was all hands on deck. Um, the, the next stage was sort of how do we ensure sort of the short-term uh, provision of public services. I mean, we had uh, our, our fire department and, and in some cases, some of our police uh, personnel were actually uh, uh, dispatched to the Pentagon and they were there for a week. You know, so when you take a, when you take a, a couple of fire stations and, and you're deploying those assets um, to the Pentagon and, uh, and they were there, you know, doing eight hour shifts, 24 hours a day, um, how do we ensure that that you know their absence here in the city is is filled uh, to meet sort of the everyday needs and um, and that's when we felt that's when we really came to rely and and they worked really well the uh, the mutual aid agreements that we have with Fairfax County and uh, Prince William County and some of the other and some even some of the Maryland jurisdictions I mean we had. We had Prince George's County fire apparatus in our Alexandria firehouses, for right. example, because our firefighters were still at the Pentagon. Uh, and so we had to make sure that 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 those provisions of public service, public, uh, public services, you know, fire being an example, police being another. Um, our schools actually were closed down for a while. Right. Uh, but we had to make sure that those things were were adequately covered. Um and then, and then it was, you know, a few months later when, when we had to deal with the economic fallout, uh, much like we're, we're in a, uh, you know, a, a, an economic uh, downspin, downturn these days with, uh, with the pandemic. Uh, back then, our airports were closed here in the Washington area. And so the ripple effect meant hotels closed, yeah. no activity in stores, no activity in, uh, in, in, um, in restaurants people getting laid off. Uh, and so, so there was a ripple effect uh, throughout the local economy here in, uh, in Alexandria and, and eventually a delegation of, of Northern Virginia elected leaders uh, like myself actually went to, uh, to the White House and, and met with the senior staff and talked to them about, you know, Ale you know Alexandria in particular, but, uh, but the Washington area is being singled out here. Every other airport was open and we right. were closed. Uh, and, and, you know, the airport was a linchpin of our economy. It needed to be open. And so, you know, after a day or so of lobbying, we were able to, uh, to prevail upon them and, and National Airport uh, and Dulles Airport eventually were, were reopened uh, and we quickly responded. Um, but, um, but it was a tough time. So sort of short term dealing with people's fears and, and their, their desire to be safe. Secondary or intermediate term was was making sure that we could still provide the public services that our our citizens expected and deserved, and then the third, which was the more long lasting, and uh, and and we did get through it, but uh, but that was the economic impacts that affected all of our of our small businesses here in uh, in uh, in the region, 
um, primarily service service sector businesses. It seems like you could you could write a a, a report or a book or at least an article if you didn't already about all of that. I mean, obviously, we're seeing that now with the pandemic, sort of the sort of the adjacent uh, uh, issues that occur when things close down. But that's you know, 9-11, that's a perfect example, you know, especially the combination of where you guys were located, the local airport being, you know, the, uh, the airport so close to the White House, all, all that makes so much sense. Um, and, you know, I would, I would hope that we have, you know, backup plans going forward. I sure I'm, I was, I assume that we do, but I don't think everybody always thinks about those things. So that's really, that's really compelling well, I, stuff. I think, I think one of the things that, one of the aspects, and, and it's certainly relevant today with the pandemic, um, and this has been sort of long, much longer lasting and broader, but, you know, we see it in our personal lives, we see it in our community lives, and, and we're seeing it in our, in, our, in our nation's life, if you will, that, that we're being challenged. And, and the, the value of, of our community, the value of our government is to meet that challenge. And in, in this case, you know, 9-11, we met that challenge right. and we recovered. And, and, and I think we're a better, stronger country for it. I think the same is going to be true once we get out of the pandemic. We met a, 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 a once-in-a-hundred-year challenge, and right. we were up to the task. Um, you know, I used to see, feel the same about a snowstorm. A snowstorm would come, and, and you know, we're challenged to, to get the, the snow off the streets and the, and the uh the city reopened and, and we were up to the challenge. And so, you know, I know that, that some people even question, you know, the validity of government these days. And, and uh, uh, but I think that the most important thing is that when we're when we're faced with the challenge, our government comes and, and identifies the, the needs of its community and they rise and meet those needs. Uh, and in yeah. this case, whether it's 9-11, the pandemic or, 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 or even a, a, a snowstorm. You know, we've, we've met the challenge and, uh, and, and, and it shows that our government works. You know, that's so important. I certainly share your philosophy that government is a positive. And so that's a great example, a series of great examples. Let me get you out of here on this. Um, you've already mentioned your Jesuit education that helped steer you and, sure, and your political genes probably didn't hurt either to, <laughs> to, to participate. Um, what else did you what else did you get from from Marquette that you carry with today? I'm not I'm not talking about friends and peers and colleagues that that goes with a lot of schools and universities. The Jesuit uh, imprint is is clear. Anything else that you that you've sort of kept over time from your time at Marquette? Well, you know, the um, I think any any uh, collegiate education, you know, is, is number one, the pursuit, the intellectual pursuit of knowledge. Right. And, and I certainly found that at, at Marquette, but, but it, it also is a time in your life. You're, you're 18 to 22 and, and, you know, it's your first time out on your own and, and, you know, to, to be a little bit, uh, you know, I guess sort of melodramatic, uh, it's now time for you to learn how to live. Right. And, uh, you know, and, and that is, is making sure that, that, that your, your, your socks are clean and your, <laughs> your bed gets made and those kinds of things, because, you know, mom and dad aren't around to do that for you anymore. And, and so Marquette taught me how to live. Right. Um, 
Right. And, and if there's one thing that I impart on, on, my, on, on my daughters, and I have five of them, um, is that, you know, when you go off to college, you know, this is, is not only a time for you to expand your, your intellectual horizons, but, but it's a time for you to learn how to live your life. And, uh, and you know, when you, when you come back, you know, you're going to be a, a, a stronger and richer person for it. But, but the one thing I always ask them to do is love your university. You know, it, it's something that is, you know, going to be with you for the rest of your life. And so, so, you know, love your experience, love your university. And, uh, and you're always going to be able to look back and, and say those were four of the, the, the best years of my life. Um, and when your team wins and they win a championship, relish that too as well. Exactly. Well, Kerry Donnelly, wishing you the best uh, in retirement. Uh, I'm going to push you to join me for a Marquette-Georgetown game when uh, they come back in. Can't wait to see live basketball. But, again, thanks so much for this, for your service. Your uh, insight has been tremendous. And I think you've, uh, you're going to give a number of people that listen to this uh, hopefully, especially the younger folks, the impetus, hey, maybe I can do a little more with my community. Maybe I can, especially as you say, after the challenge of uh, the massive challenge of the pandemic ebbs and uh, wanes a little bit, hopefully, um, you know, we get back to some sense of uh, normalcy, or at least if it's, a, if they say the new normal or the new abnormal, that we, um, we've learned from this and we're stronger. So uh, this has been excellent. Really appreciate it. Stay safe, and we will talk soon. You too, John. Thanks a lot, and I look forward to seeing you at, uh, at that Marquette-Georgetown game. All right, man. Take care. Okay, bye-bye.